Hello, and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and we are so delighted to come to you again on this uh, Tuesday, May the 26th of 2020. Uh, we pray that uh, you had a, a wonderful time with your family yesterday, fellowshipping and and just thanking the Lord uh, for all his goodness. Uh, yesterday, we had a tremendous uh, Bible study in the morning in the book of Jeremiah, and uh, we are I'm so happy to continue that we're going to continue to build on what God is saying. If you did not get a chance to hear the podcast yesterday, I pray that you go back and 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 you listen to it. I know it will bless you. Always delighted to be here with the panel, Brother Fernando, Brother Jeremiah, Brother Marty, uh, to be able to open up the words, the Word of God together with our listeners. I pray that you are being encouraged. I pray that you are being blessed and uh and help us, help us to, to pass the word, to, to tell others and tell them about these podcasts, share them. And uh, I know it will be a blessing unto others. Our job, our job uh, and our responsibility as ministers of the gospel is only to give you the word. What people do with it, that that is on them. But we are here to just tell you what does say it the Lord. And that's what we pray. That's what we we pray Every day that God, that the word that you have will be the word that you want us to say. So I want you to know how much we uh, value and, and really are very serious about what we do on these podcasts, you know, and, and what we're saying unto you, trying to always be mindful of that it is that God is moving us and, and, and speaking to us. And I know that he is. So, uh, we're blessed to be here together. Let us open up the Word of God. And Brother Marty, uh, share what God has placed in your heart. We'll take it from here. Amen. We're going to begin today from Jeremiah chapter 2, uh, and we'll cover briefly with a little bit of what we talked about yesterday as we head into chapter 2 and continue what we believe the Lord is telling us and, uh, and what we believe we're seeing in the parallels of what happened to Judah and quite possibly what is just ahead for this nation, that is the church in this nation, in the days going forward. And so I'm going to I'm gonna read a few scriptures today. I'm going to have you guys read as well. And, and as we go, please jump in and share as your heart uh, moves upon you. And so we welcome the listening audience and pray you have your Bibles. And uh, we encourage you to follow along. So beginning in Jeremiah chapter 2 uh, with verse 1, uh, I'm going to read where it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Jeremiah speaking. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, thus saith the Lord. I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of thine espousals, when thou went after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. Israel was holiness unto the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. And all that devour him shall offend, evil shall come upon them, says the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So, amen. yesterday we, in reviewing chapter 1 of Jeremiah, we were talking about how that God raised up Jeremiah from amongst uh, the, the the city of Anathoth, which was about two and a half miles, three miles walking distance to Jerusalem. His father was Hilkiah, who was at the time the high priest. And Jeremiah's ministry would encompass the three 
uh, final kingdoms, or if you will, or rulers that would exist prior to the absolute destruction of the temple and the carrying away of the people and the captivity. And in that, he mentions three kings. He mentions Josiah, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, who would be the final king. Jeremiah's father, as we looked at yesterday, uh, was the one that the, the Lord used to find the original Torah scroll written by Moses, the book of Deuteronomy. After about 100 years or so of, of, of crazy leadership under Manasseh and uh, Josiah's grandfather, Ammon, Josiah comes to power as a young man. And Jeremiah's father, Hilkiah, finds the Torah scroll hidden in the temple and he dusts it off, and, and they begin to read it, and they're astounded by what they read. It, it had been many, many years since the Word of God had free flow and free course in the nation, and as a result, many things happened and began to um, you know, filter down into the nation as a result of the lack of its spiritual leadership and the gross idolatry that was, that was uh, encouraged and developed under the previous hundred years or so. So when they find this scroll, they end up giving it to Josiah and, and reading it to him as a young man. And when he heard the words that were written by Moses uh, and, and how that the people, should they fall away and turn to other gods, that God would ultimately bring judgment upon the nation. And it struck him with such a horror and, 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 a, and, a, and an awakening in his heart and his mind. And, and he began what we talked about yesterday, uh, a national revival. He went throughout Jerusalem and, and the land of Judah and began to tear down uh, the many, many altars that had been erected on the on the hills and mountains of of Judah and even in the street corners, uh, you know, where they would set up altars to false gods in the very city of the great city of David and 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 the temple of, of Solomon, where God had once visited. Uh, it is said when Solomon dedicated the temple, and the presence of God came down literally to such an extent that the priests couldn't even stand to minister. So this was a great city, a great nation that once had known the presence of God and had declined to such a degree that it required God sending prophets to them for many, many years, many, many decades, many centuries, warning them of what was coming. And so when Jeremiah actually comes to the scene, he's not coming as a prophet that's going to try and bring correction and hopefully institute repentance amongst the people uh, to prevent judgment. Instead, he is raised up as God as a, as a witness to all the prophets that had gone before him. Isaiah, Hosea, Zephaniah, uh, Amos, and, 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 and the great prophets before him. And he would be like the culmination of it all. <clears throat> he would be the one who would literally begin to stand up and tell the people, something's coming. Something's coming, and, 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 and it's basically too late. Uh, for generations, you have turned your back on God, and, and now you've crossed the line. But this didn't seem to be the right word, because when Josiah heard the, the, the prophecies that Moses had given in the book of Deuteronomy of what would happen to, people, to the people should they turn from God, he instituted a national revival. So for all... Right. Uh, outward appearances, right? It looked like there was this great revival taking place, uh, a new administration, if you will, had come to town, and 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 the religious people had had hitched their wagon to it and got caught up in the enthusiasm of it. 
But God raises up Jeremiah and begins to show and reveal to him that though it looked on the outside like there was some sort of religious renewal, the truth of the matter is, is that the heart of the people, because that's really what God is concerned about, the heart, not the outward show, right? Because people are really good at being religious (laughs) and pretending to be something that they're not, right? And, uh, And that's kind of what God begins to move on Jeremiah. We talked about that yesterday. Because God comes to Jeremiah in the midst of what appears to be a national renewal, and he asks the young prophet, he says, what is it that you actually see? Do you actually see this great renewal taking place, or what is it that you actually see? And Jeremiah responded with, uh, that he saw something different. He saw that, that the truth of the matter is, and how Jeremiah described it was, I see a rod of an almond tree. And the Lord responded to him, you, you have seen correctly. And yesterday, as we talked about, the word rod literally means or or symbolizes the correcting hand of God. And almond tree, I see the rod of an almond tree, Jeremiah said, how he responded, because God showed him that image, that vision uh, of a rod, a corrective rod of an almond tree. And the almond tree is the tree that blossoms very quickly. Uh, The rabbis say the almond tree only takes like like 21 days to to, blossom. uh, to, to, to ripen and blossom. And so what God was actually telling Jeremiah is, yes, you are seeing correctly. And what's actually taking place in the nation is a false repentance and a false, uh, you know, asp- uh, hope, if you will, amongst the people that, that they've kind of, you know, latched on to something that's, that's changing things. But the truth of the matter is, is I'm after the heart. And they have come to the position and to the place where they, where they don't even realize that just because they're doing a certain amount of things on the outside, really the truth of the matter is, is inside, uh, I am not the Lord of their lives. And so all the years of all the prophecies of all the words of warning that have gone before you, Jeremiah, they're about to come to pass. And that's what Jeremiah was sensing in the spirit. Even though he saw a completely different picture in front of him, in the natural, he knew by the Spirit of God that something different was happening. It wasn't what it appeared on the surface. And so when God comes to him and shows him that vision of a rod and an almond tree, what he actually uh, was revealing to Jeremiah was that, that judgment is indeed coming, young man, and it's coming quickly. And he says, you have seen well, for I will hasten my word to perform it, right? The judgment would now come quickly. There was two revelations we talked about yesterday that Jeremiah received. One was the first one. I see the rod of an almond tree. That was the what. Remember, because God said, what is it that you see? And Jeremiah's response was to the what. I see judgment coming, and I think it's coming quickly. I see it coming quickly. And God says, yes, you've seen correctly, and it's going to come quickly. I will hasten my word. That is all the prophetic words that have gone before in, in the decades and, and a few centuries before this, through my other prophets, he says, yes, I'm about to quicken everything that I had them speak about would come as a result of the sin. And the second thing in verse 13 and 14, chapter 1, that Jeremiah saw uh, was a seething pot of boiling water, right? And and that was representative of, of King Nebuchadnezzar. So two things he saw, judgment is coming quickly, and secondly, we could say it this way, a dominating global empire is coming. That was Nebuchadnezzar. So 
that's the end of chapter one. Basically, he goes on to tell him that uh, that God had set him as a prophet and that he was not to be afraid of the people. And that the gathering storm, this is interesting. Brother Jeremy, can you read this? Because in yes. verse 14, he talks about the evil that's coming from the north. He was talking about a global system. I'm using yes. our own modern-day language because today's message is basically the parallels that occurred between Judah and what is now occurring in the United States of America amongst those that claim to be God's people. Yes. Because they, too, yes. have hitched themselves to what they think is a political uh, renaissance. A, 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 they've attached themselves to, to, to government and to the White House and to all the things that the, that the what they call the ultra-Christian right has been uh, touting over the last three years. And, and they claim that that's a revival. Then we go into this pandemic, uh, a corrective thing, I believe, that has come upon the nation in order to turn it and cause it to reflect about what has actually led it to this point. And instead right. of that, now we reach Memorial Day, and they're all out there waving their flags, wearing their, their red MAGA hats, and wrapping themselves in a pseudo-patriotism and a, and a false Judeo-Christian value set as they go hang out in their pools, their beaches, getting drunk with their friends. And so it's a pseudo thing that's happening. It's a pseudo thing that's occurring. And Jeremiah sensed it, even though on the outside, as we talked about yesterday, people have been feeling, those that have, are in the church, they're, they're kind of like, the, the true body of Christ has sensed, wait a minute, something's not right here. You know, right. and we talked, right, we talked about that sense of, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. You know, we believe God has been saying one thing, but now look, it looks like everything's changing. And, and that's why it's that same kind of feeling when God came to Jeremiah and says, okay, it looks like this, but what do you see? He says, man, Lord, I see, I see, I see the rod of an almond tree. I see, I see judgment coming, and I see it's coming quickly. And the Lord says, you know what? You have seen well, and it is coming quickly. And what's coming, he said, is, is Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian Empire. Could you read that, Brother Jeremy, in 14 yes. and, and, and 15? Yes. Then the Lord said unto me, out of the north, and evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. For lo, I will call all the families of the kingdoms of the north, saith the Lord, and they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering of the gates of Jerusalem, and against all the walls thereof round about, and against all the cities of Judah. So check about check that out. He he begins at the interior. He goes to the spiritual center. He's addressing the the leadership, the ruling religious class. And he says, you know what? They're going to come to the very edges of the city. They're going to come right to the point of the entering in. They're going to gather that way, and against your defense, your defenses, and against your outlying territories. This is a comprehensive judgment. And, and the Lord says they're going to gather, they're going to come, and, and they're going to set themselves in preparation of, of an absolute uh, destruction and captivity that's coming upon your land. This is a growing, foreboding sense of approaching uh, judgment that's coming. And this is what Jeremiah sees in the midst, I remind you. <laughs> of his Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I mean, I'm, you wow. know, I mean, I'm, right. right? You know, all these people but, coming out. Go ahead, brother. Talk. 
But, but Brother Marty, in, in the Hebrew, the, the word al, al, almond, the, for the almond tree, almond, almond tree, tree, it's, for the almond tree, it's, it's a word that comes from a root that means to watch or wait. And they say that the almond tree is the first among the first trees to awaken from its winter sleep. Mm. So, and that's pretty rich in, in definition, the word awake. Do you yes. see, you know, it, it was, look, it, it, it was a sign. The almond tree coming out, as you said, it blossoms within about, what, 21 days? It yes. was it, it, it was to awaken, you know, as, as a sign. Look, 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 the almond tree is coming out. So mm-hmm. I think that that was pretty no, and that's, in, in, in you know what that makes me think of pastor jeremy is 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 very interesting and i'm glad you brought that up because the almond tree being the first to awaken uh it's it, you know we know that we exist in four seasons right the summer winter yes. summer fall winter spring right so mm-hmm. here we are in the spring right that's what he's showing him and 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 so it's almost as if he's saying a new season has begun and it's not going to be second in line or third in line what's coming. This is what's coming now in this season, right? It's the first to spring forth. I'm doing something different. It kind of made me think about kind of how this whole year began in 2020, right? I mean, they went from, mm. from Christmas to, to New Year's Eve parties and all that kind of stuff. And then suddenly we come into January, and those who were spiritually being led by the Lord, they began to see some things taking place in the world that they knew would lead ultimately to a, to the kind of pandemic and lockdown that we see now. God warned his true servants about it. Those that were seeking, right. those who were praying, they knew in advance. Right. And and uh, but for the most part, no. <laughs> they didn't they right. uh, they didn't see it coming, but the thing is is it sprung forth suddenly, right? As we right. were heading into into this new thing. And so what God says to Jeremiah here is this is how it's going to come. It's going to break forth and notice what he says in verse 14, on all the inhabitants of the land. Mm. You know, we have this notion at times that, okay, yeah, you, you talk about the backslidden church and you talk about the world, but, you know, we good people of God, you know, it, it ain't going to mm. happen to us, right? But see, when mm-hmm. this kind of judgment comes, it comes upon the good and the bad, upon the just and the unjust. When a true prophetic uh, fulfillment of God's will, as it is written in his word, begins to come to pass, it affects everybody. Yes. And, and we need to understand that. Because otherwise, you're going to be confused in the coming days as to how in the world, I don't get it. How am I going through this kind of stuff? What this, it feels like everything is crowding in around us. Well, that's exactly what's begun. It's the same pattern. For those who can see, for those who can hear, God tells Jeremiah in verse 15, they shall come and they will begin to set themselves at the gates, at the walls, and the entering in of every part. It's an encroaching judgment. It's a judgment that will surround everything and everybody. And that is what was coming. That is what Jeremiah saw. It wasn't a simple correction or a simple judgment. It was a finality. It was Babylon. It was the global empire and Nebuchadnezzar, a type of the Antichrist, right? Because that's really what he was as as the head of Babylon. It's a global state 
a global system that was coming on them. And, and he says, and, and really, I'm going to set them, and then I'm going to pronounce judgment. Can you read verse 16, Brother Jeremy? Yes. And I will utter my judgment against them, touching all their wickedness, who have forsaken me, and have burnt incense unto other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. Creating their own idols. Burning incense is is an expression of prayer, right? It is the longing or desire of the heart. He's exposing the actual spiritual condition of a people of God that pretend on the outside to be having this great, you know, transition to greatness, <laughs> if you will. You yeah. know, he's saying, look, right. He, right? He says, look, the truth is a, a storm has gathered, and before I allow it to completely overtake you, it is first going to come, It'll be visible, and it'll set itself. You see that in verse 15? He says, they shall come, and they shall set everyone his throne at the entering end of the gate. It's a preparatory thing. It's an encroaching thing, and it'll come, and then it'll stop. Because an interim period is going to happen is, is really what he's trying to say here. And, and it's in that interim period that I'm going to be able, that I'm going to begin through you, Prophet Jeremiah, to lay the case against this people that is going to come under my judgment. So you'll see it come, you'll see it set, and then there'll be a pause. And it's in that pause that I will begin to utter my judgments against them. I'm going to lay my case before them so that when this thing ultimately floods the nation and it happens to them, they will be without recourse, without advocate. And without a way out, basically, because they've come to this point. And, and it's time. It's the culmination of generations. This is not something that just happened overnight, but it must happen. And so that brings us to chapter 2, right? Because what begins to happen in chapter 2, and, and we could talk about so much more in the rest of it, but we've got to get to today's word. Uh, in chapter 2, after we hearing what we just talked about, he now begins to, uh, to to address the nation. He begins to lay the case, but he but he takes them back into history. And how he tells them and how he deals with them is how he is dealing with America and how he has tried to deal with America over the last several years. It is it is a parallel, it seems to me, and and we'll look at it. What does he tell Jeremiah in, in verse one and two? Could you read that, Jeremy? Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, I remember thee, the kindness of thy youth, the love of, thy, of thine espousals, when thou wentest after me in the wilderness, in a land that was not sown. So he begins to plead through the prophet, and, and he starts... He doesn't go right to the to the jugular, right? He first takes them back in their history. In a sense, the Lord was like revealing why his grace had been extended for so long. You know, he didn't judge them 10 years before or even under the horribleness of Manasseh 100 years before, who was the most wicked of all kings and led Israel into abortion, if you will, through the 
through the sacrificing of their own children to the demon god Moloch. I mean, the whole land had become defiled up under these kinds of things, but he didn't judge them then. And so now this has become the generation of his wrath. This has become the generation of his judgment, but he begins by reminding them why he's had grace this long. He takes them back in their history. He begins with a history lesson. I remember you, what you started out like. And he sends Jeremiah and he says, now go cry in the ears of Jerusalem. The, that, that word in the Hebrew, those words in the Hebrew, it literally means this is going to be a repetitive, consistent message for, a, for an interim time. And I think we've seen that in our nation over the last several decades, a repetitive, consistent message. Uh, and, and, and in their case, he began with a reminder of their heritage. As if, as as if their culture had forgot who they were. He says, "Go cry," and the word "cry" in their ears. The word "cry" means it has the idea of accosting or arresting a person, and 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 to encounter them, to confront them. Go and cry to them in their ears. That word "ears" is really interesting because it it means to actually uncover the air and forcibly open the ear and what it what it what he's indicating there is the society and the culture of my people i'm not talking about the world man we're talking about jerusalem here you know my people you need to actually get a hold of them because they're so stupid i mean they're actually just going through their everyday lives thinking everything's okay because they're the people of god right and he says the truth is you're gonna have to get a hold of them and by my anointing, speak my word to them and cry in their ears this message over and over and over until the result is that you break through and, and open their ears so they can mm. at least pause for a second and consider what I'm trying to tell them. He says, go cry in the ears of Jerusalem. And to me, this is really incredible because this is that great city, right? It's supposed to be an earthly reflection of a heavenly truth, right? The Jerusalem on right. the earth is supposed to reflect the Jerusalem in heaven. Right. But <laughs> but this city was so hardened by their compromise and their failed leadership and decades and generations of idolatry that it, it liter literally couldn't hear anymore. And so the Lord sends the prophet to them. And, and he starts by rehearsing their history, and he says this to them. He says, tell them that you weren't always this way. You didn't always live like this. You didn't always act like this. And whether you remember me or not, thus saith the Lord, right? In verse 2, he says, I remember you. See, our nation has fallen into the same kind of condition, and we're going to be going back and forth between Judah and, and our culture now so that we can see the parallels. See, the Lord had to send his prophet to remind them of their historical beginnings. And and it's the same now with, with, with America. In a, in a sense, he was saying, you, are, you, Judah, you, Israel, you are unique amongst the nations, but you have forgotten how you got started. And and and, right. and 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 history's been cast aside basically because if you have to send a prophet to remind a nation of how God blessed it and why God blessed it and how God how it got started and why God uh, you know hooked up with that nation, then the nation itself has reached the point where it's forgotten its roots, its beginnings, 
and what made it great to begin with. But see, the Lord, the Lord says, "What I remember you," and He says, "What in verse two? He says, uh, the kindness of your youth." This is really interesting because this is how He's talking to them. He says, "How you got started was." The word kindness literally means you had piety towards God. You worshiped God in your youth. When you first started, you put me first. That's what he was saying to Judah. And and that is what he's saying right now by his spirit to this country. He's telling us, look, you have forgotten how you got started. You have forgotten why you are blessed. But it wasn't always that way. When you began with me, you loved me. And you sought me. Look at verse, look at what he says after the kindness of yours. He says, the love of your espousals. That, that word espousals is really interesting because it means your marriage covenant, your bridehood. He takes them all the way back to the beginning and says, when you first started, you loved me and worshipped me and you married me by covenant. He's literally referring to after he brought them out of out of Egypt, how he took them to Mount Sinai. See, I, I've heard all these hyper charismatic people and heard some things over the last few days uh, uh, and, and words that people are giving that we're just two days away from Pentecost. Right. They're celebrating Pentecost in two days, the season of Pentecost. Right. And they're saying, oh, it's a sign, you know, God's getting ready to bless us and pour out his spirit on us and blah, blah, blah. Right. And really what Pentecost is, is a celebration of when God brought Israel to Mount Sinai and, and, and there revealed his covenant to them. When he came down on the mountain in Exodus chapter 19, if you remember, he came down on the mountain and he cut a covenant with them and he married himself to them. And so if anything, as we enter into the season of Pentecost, it's almost as God, if you want to take the spiritual parallel and use it for America, say, look. <laughs> I married myself to you at the at the at the Constitutional Congress, man. Uh, back in 1787, you called out to me and asked me to help you, and I gave you a constitution. I cut a covenant with you. I married myself to you. You loved me then, even before you had a a, a blessed land. You asked for right. me then. So it's a parallel, right? So. I want to read something yes. to you. I'm going to read something to you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I want to read. I want to read this to you because I was going over this this morning, and I, I was just astounded by this. Uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit reminded me in this parallel to go look at something that Benjamin Franklin said when they when they cut covenant with God when they were seeking for for a document to be inspired. Uh, they searched all the historical records of all. Uh, republics and, and global empires before as they were trying to hash out this document. And they had come to a place where they were completely, you know, at an impasse as far as being able to craft this document. And and then Benjamin Franklin stands up and he, and he says, he says this, I want to read this to you because it's, it's really interesting. He gets to the point where they're at an impasse and he begins to remind them that when they first were, were, were fighting against the British, that that George Washington and the boys had gotten on their knees and prayed to God to help them because they were getting ready to go down, right? So mm -hmm. so what he says to them about that, he says, uh, he says, uh, have we forgotten our powerful friend? 
or do we imagine that we can that we no longer need his help or his assistance he's and this is franklin speaking he says i have lived sir a long time and the longer that i live the more convincing proofs that i see of this truth that it is god who governs in the affairs of men and if a sparrow can't fall to the ground without his notice is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid we have been assured sir in the sacred writings that except the lord build they labor in vain that build it and i firmly believe this and i also believe that without his concurring aid we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of the Tower of Babel. Wow. And we, sh- and we shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to a future age. And what is worse is that mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate incident an instance despair of ever establishing a government if he seeks only by human human wisdom to do so and leave it to chance war and conquest for it to be established i paraphrase there i therefore beg leave to move that from this day forth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every single morning before we proceed to the business of this constitution and that one or more of the clergy of the city be requested to officiate in that service that's how our nation began we asked god to cut a covenant we asked him to help us and that's what jeremiah was being sent by god to do to remind judah you cut a covenant with me you you called out to me. He reminds them of the very first generation. And, 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 and the parallels are striking because what we just read, like God said, you know, uh, I remember thee and, and, and your love toward me. They showed respect and love toward God. And, and, and they married me by a covenant, he said. They sought me in a land that was not sown. And then, and then he goes on to say what, Brother Jeremy, in verse 3? Israel was holiness unto the Lord and the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him shall offend. Evil he was shall come up. Yeah, go ahead. It says, evil shall come upon them, saith the Lord. Yeah, so what he was literally saying was, was that you know, you started out by showing your love to me. We married each other in a covenant. Whether America realizes it or not, that's why God sent Jeremiah to remind Judah to look, your history with me is this. And and because it's at, of a of a deep nature, as as if I'm married to you, you know, uh, it is why I am now entering in to divorce myself from you, really, you know, because you you started right. And, and what I say about you is you became holiness to the Lord. In other words, what he was saying, you became the first church. You became the people of my presence. You were the first fruits, first among all the nations. In other words, this particular nation belonged to God. And at one time, this blessed land of ours and its people 
were in absolute fidelity to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and built its nations upon the founding principles of Judeo-Christian values with Jesus Christ as the head of his church in this country. And God says uh, in verse 3 when he said, anybody who messed with you, anyone who tried to devour you, I, I allowed evil to come upon you. I, I was the one who protected you. I protected that generation in the old time. He's speaking through Jeremiah to his people of his day. And what he, why he said that and why he started with that was because he wanted them to, to, to reflect upon the fact that a gathering storm of judgment was on the horizon. He's trying to wake him up. And he says, the fact that the storm is coming against you, the fact of this encroaching empire of global domination is gathering around you and crowding you in on the horizon and will soon be fully realized in the form of a global state. I'm using these words because I'm trying to talk to us. And a global government, because that's exactly what it was. The fact that this is happening, he's reminding them of their past. I used to take care of you because you loved me. You were married to me. You were my uh, reflection on the earth of a godly people. I took care of you. And, 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 and all the wars you ever fought, I was with you. No one could ever stand before you. But now this, this, this gathering storm has come. And though you're acting like everything's okay and you're in the midst of this national renewal and this transition to greatness under Josiah of their day, he says, the truth is they're already camping at your gates. They're already encroaching around you. And you need to understand it is, it is because of your walking away from me. And there is coming a destruction of your freedom. And a captivity is coming the like of what you have never seen and what you can barely even imagine. So, you know, that was then, right? And this is now. That's kind of what he's talking about in verse 1, 2, and 3. He's saying, look, that's how you used to be, but this is now. So, Jeremy, can you read 4 and 5? Hear ye the word of the Lord. O house of Jacob and all the families of the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, what iniquity have your fathers found in me, that they are gone far from me, and have walked after vanity, and are become vain? So he's literally saying, you know, the nation of the past loved me. That's how he started, first one, two, and three. And he said they loved me in a land that wasn't even sown, it, had, it wasn't even cultivated yet. And they became a blessed people, and no enemy could stand before them. But now, all these generations later, now your fathers and now you have departed from me. Verse 5, right? And, 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 he, and he asks them the question, why? In other words, what iniquity have your fathers found in me? What have I done to them that they would leave me, that they would go far from me, the Lord says? Distant, that's literally what it means. The cultural reality now because of this, he says, is that they have walked after vanity and they are become vanity. In other words, what he was saying was the, the word vanity means they have walked after that which is empty. And the result is they have themselves become empty. They've become vain as a national people 
my people. They have hooked themselves up to things that, that, that are absolutely of no profit. And over the generations, they have declined to such a point that they walked away from me. I didn't institute this walking away. They began to be seduced by the very gods that they were originally completely against. And over time, they let themselves be little by little carried away to the point that they are completely unrecognizable. And now the only thing I can do is send a harsh, stern, prophetic word and lay the case out before them as to why what they have feared the most, and most are even undiscerning that it's, it's coming, is absolutely going to come upon them. Because what they've hooked themselves up to is emptiness and vanity. And the word meaning that they became vain, that, that they walked after vanity and became vain. The word vain there means to be empty in, in action, in word, and in, in expectation. In other words, what they, what they do and what they say leads to nothing but emptiness and lack of satisfaction, and they lead others astray. That sounds like that scripture, right, that says that, that they allure those that are unstable, right, and they want them mm -hmm. to become just like them. Uh, you know, they, will, they won't be honest. But the truth is, deep inside, they are empty. That's what God was exposing by the prophet. And that's kind of what God is saying to the American church today. Truth is, if you'll yes. admit it, deep inside your spirit, all your pursuits, all your worldly pleasures, all your twisting of the scriptures and your compromises, all your shallow community efforts, and all your attempts at trying to satisfy yourselves in every place, on every high hill and under every green tree, apart from me, and apart from the memory of the godly forefathers that once called upon me to bless you, your families, and your nation, says, You've become empty inside. And and unless America disagrees with what we're saying here, we are the most over-medicated, over-sexualized, over-materialized people on the planet. Right. And yet, and yet you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, we, we're, we're depressed. We have bipolar disease. We, we're anxious. We're, I mean, go down the list of psychosis, right? We're, we're, we are so spoiled and so overfed and so fat we neigh in the morning like the like the like the mule god says we snuff at the wind and it's left yeah. us empty and vain you know one of the biggest stocks that's gone up in this time in america is netflix and that's yeah. not just the world uh, but purchasing netflix or, or wanting to participate in that the reason the stock's gone like, is because instead of seeking god Instead of really reflecting on where the nation has been allowed to come, not just any nation, but a nation that was married to God, has come to this place where it is completely empty and vain without, without solid word or action or reflection. And it's, 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 it's lost in its soul. Right. This is serious. Are you going to say yeah. something? <laughs> yeah. But... Um... What 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 I what I can tell right now, and it reminds me everything you're talking about. You know, Paul would say they are without excuse. We are without excuse. In Romans one twenty one, you know what, what you're saying, brother. It, it mirrors it. He says because that when they knew God, they mm -hmm. glorified Him not as God, 
neither were thankful. Neither, in other words, they didn't remember him. It says, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So that's exactly as Jeremiah, right. Right? Yeah. As Jeremiah is declaring this, he's saying, you're without excuse, and I'm going to remind you so that you will not be able to say that you have an excuse of 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 who you know what God brought you. Isn't that what what God instructed Moses? And Moses instructed the people that they were to remember and speak it to every generation where the Lord had brought brought him out from. That's the gospel, That's right? Brother. Right. And yeah. they forgot. And look what it led when him you get up, to. Remember what he said when you when you get up in the morning, when you walk by the the wayside in the noonday, when you when you uh, when you gather in your homes in the evening, when you lay down at night. You know, the name of the Lord is to be greatly praised. He said, when you teach your children the things of God, right? Teach them yes. the things of God. But I love that scripture you just read because because it flows right into this. You know, as we're talking about this emptiness of society and culture, a society that has to move at a million miles an hour, whether it's in their movie houses or, or in the stadiums of all the sports teams that they're lamenting they can't go see or, 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 or whatever they're using. It's to fill up a, a, a space that, that, as he goes on to say later, that can hold nothing. The truth is you have dug out for yourselves interior spiritual lack of quality so that even that which you drink into yourself now seeking to satisfy the thirst of your soul and the emptiness of your heart he says it doesn't even hold water and so you've got to inundate yourselves more and more and more you've walked after vanity and you yourself have become empty so that even what you do feels empty no matter what you say there's nothing there's no substance to it there's no expectation in what you preach because it ends at the end of the road in an absolute nothing burger. Like we said yesterday, there's nothing there. Where's the beef, right? There's no beef. <laughs> it's just two empty pieces of bread. There's nothing there. And and instead of verse 6 happening, because what does he say? Instead at, of admitting where you're at, and, and even when you reach this point of desperation, what does he say that they failed to do, Brother Jeremy, in verse 6? It says, Neither said they, Where is the Lord that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, that led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and the pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death, through a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt? Right. So he says, look, they've reached this point, but as a reflection of why it is just that, that I remove my protective hand and what will come will come, is because in the midst of their own emptiness of soul, what they prove is unlike their fathers, they don't want to know me. Because they don't go back in their history and say, where is the God of our fathers? Where is the Lord that brought us up, that made us a nation, that blessed us? Where is the Lord that led us through every danger, right, through wildernesses and pits and the shadow of death? Where is the Lord that blessed us from sea to shining sea? Instead, they became harder 
and they became worse, and they became unrepentant. But the Lord tells them in verse 7, I'm the one who brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when you entered, you defiled my land and you made my heritage an abomination. What he was literally saying was, I'm reminding you, I'm the one who blessed you. You don't get it. You're so far from it. That's why he starts in verse 1 and 2 reminding them of their history because their entire culture became completely unidentified with anything but completely saturated with all the attempts on their part to find satisfaction upon from the God who loved them and called them his own, called them his bride, called them his blessed people, poured out his blessing upon them, called them holiness and first fruits, all that stuff. They walked away from that without cause. He said, what iniquity, I mean, what happened here? I mean, what, when did when did you find anything that I ever did to you to be bad? But instead, you got bored of me, and you were enticed by the very things I warned you would seal your fate and destroy your soul. I blessed you. But instead, when when you came into the land that I gave you and blessed you, America, he said, you turned my land and defiled it, and you made my heritage an abomination. He's literally saying, you turned your children, my heritage which should have been my heritage from generation to generation. We should have been the greatest, most blessed, most prosper, prosperous, most evan, evangelistic nation on the face of the earth, preaching the, the glories of our God. Why is America? They used to sing songs saying, God shed his grace on thee from sea to shining sea. Oh, beautiful for spacious guys, for amber waves of grain, from purple mountains, majesty, above the fruit. This is a God talk. This is what God did for Judah and for the USA. The parallels are striking. And he says, but you defiled my land. And instead of having godly children, Instead of having children that respect me, what have you done to them? You made them an abomination. Now, instead of opening their school days with prayer, you read them books about transgenderism and and questioning their very maleness or femaleness. You take my young, innocent children and you parade them into your public libraries. And instead of reading from them the great works of your great leaders of old who used to serve me, you send in demon-possessed drag queens to read them stories of filth and abomination. And then you allow them to crawl all over them while you gleefully take pictures with your iPhone and show your friends on your Facebook posts. You've turned my heritage into an abomination. And you dare to ask me why this has come upon you? And your land, I blessed you, but you defiled the land. And you have turned Isaiah, your land. Go ahead, brother. Isaiah chapter 3 um, gives a very uh, stark attitude of, of the people. In verse 9, it says this. And I want the listener to listen very closely to uh, how the prophet Isaiah is describing the people of his generation. Now, we're in the book of Jeremiah where the sin is, is, is far worse. Uh, but he said this in uh, Isaiah 3, verse 9. The show of their countenance, their face, it does witness against them. Uh-huh. Notice, and they declare yeah. their sin as Sodom. They don't even 
hide it anymore. <laughs> their wow. very countenance, their very face tells you exactly what sin they are practicing. Think about that. And he likens them unto the people huh. of Sodom. And it says, mm-hmm. they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. The word rewarded really has the uh, a meaning of an almond that has ripened. Yeah. When you really, when you really get down to it, it's what we're talking about here. Uh, uh, it's reached the point that they don't even hide it no more. Their, their sin is like the sin of Sodom. That's where we're at as America. Right, yeah. and you gave the beautiful explanation of of where where we once were and where we're at today. Yeah, you know? and many Americans don't know that we made a covenant. We cut covenant with God when we when this nation was born. The leaders, yeah. the framers of our nation, they cut covenant with God. We have drifted yes. so far away. And they made promises, right? They made promises yes. to the Lord. That if you'll do this, we'll do that kind of thing, right? I mean, that's that's exactly. that's that famous book by Rabbi Khan, right? He points out in, in the Harbinger that in in his historical research how that when when George Washington, the first president, was sworn into office, it was in in Manhattan, New York City, at Ground Zero, at the Federal Building. And after the swearing-in process, he led the Congress that was there at the time and the senators all the way over to Trinity Church. Uh, which is at ground zero as well. And there they, they, they made an open prayer to God and asked him to bless the land and, and called upon him to bless the land. And then in George Washington's remarks, he told the people, he said, as long as we serve the Lord, we'll be blessed. But if we forsake him, uh, can we can we ever hope to endure? And they said that the, that the framing of the covenant that we cut with God, the very constitution of the United States, that it was born out of prayer and a deep, sincere seeking of men who wanted God's blessing upon the nations. Even back then, they considered that our land was like a sort of new Israel, right? A new Jerusalem, a new promised land. And and, right. and that's the kind of, uh, you know, intensity they had when they were seeking God over it. And and, and what ended up happening uh, is is exactly what they said they would do. But they did say this, brother, what you were saying earlier is so profound. Because when they framed the Constitution, what they said was that this this document is only good uh, if it's if it's uh, if its laws, its principles, its concepts are are adhered to by a moral and 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 godly people. But if they cease to be moral and godly, then none of these things matter. They will not govern them. They, 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 the very parameters that 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 were meant to establish the just and perfect society, really, uh, all of it will be thrown to the wind and its destruction will not be many days after that. What were you going to say, Brother Jeremy? Oh, no, no. I'm I'm agreeing, Brother. I'm just listening to what you guys are saying. Powerful. Praise God. So what what the Lord goes on in in, in his young prophet's message here in verse 8, he brings it right back down to where the blame ultimately falls. Can you read that yeah. verse, verse eight, brother? Jeremy? Yeah, I, yeah, I read that this morning. That's powerful. Yes, the the priest said not, "Where is the Lord?" And they that handled the law knew me not. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, and walked after things 
that do not profit. So what he was saying is really interesting because he, he lays the blame squarely at the feet of, of those that should be guiding the moral center of the people. He, he, he lambasts them. He says, the people don't say, where's the Lord? And so when you turn to the spiritual house, which should be the one that is guiding the people back to its heritage and its foundational principles at the most crucial time, when, when, it, when it's quite possibly uh, that I will advert this judgment, even even Joel said it right. Joel said, "Hey, let's weep between the porch and the altar. Let's let's fast and call for the priests and the great men." Right? It may be that God will leave a blessing behind. It may be, but they didn't. People didn't ask. And then he 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 lays the indictment squarely where the problem rested. He says the priests aren't even saying, "Where's the Lord?" They don't care. They don't they don't ask. They don't care. And then he says. This one really jumped out to me. Secondly, uh, they that that handled the law don't know him. If that is not a perfect picture of of the majority of the of the churches in America today, I don't know what is. Because what you right. get out of these pulpits is not proper exegesis of the Word of Almighty God. Neither is it spiritual. <clears throat> it's it's a it's a it's a twisting of the scriptures. They that handle the law, they don't know me. And when a generation has that kind of preacher and that kind of of, of institution of religion uh, in, in its midst, you are on the edge and the brink of destruction. And and the very spiritual leadership that God has set in place, which should be sounding the alarm, and 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 calling the people. That's what he told Jeremiah, right? He said, "Cry in the ears of Jerusalem." Open their ears, yes. Because yes. these these preachers <laughs> who don't even ask for me, these who are supposed to be great preachers who don't even know me, don't know my word, they have literally preached uh, what Isaiah said. Like Brother Fernando was just talking about when they produced within the people the kind of preachers who said to the prophets, "Don't prophesy to us, prophesy yes. smooth things to us." They even said. Uh, for them to remove the Holy One of Israel from before their eyes. They didn't want that kind of a word. They didn't want a corrective word. But the fault lied after generations of compromise in the ministry. And the same can be said of the American church today and the and the hyper-charismatic Pentecostal and now even the well-established denominational world in this nation that has failed utterly, miserably, to rise to the position of that sacred office and call us to live a holy life in reflection of the one who saved us and bought us and redeemed us in his precious blood. Yes. The pastors have also transgressed against me. Why does he mention them? Because pastors were meant to be those who would heal the sheep and, and gather the sheep and go look for the lost sheep. And and, and instead, they, they have sinned against the Lord because they don't even care for his people. Right. And then there's the, and then there's the prophets, the, the 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 moral compass of a spiritual nation. He probably gave the worst indictment of them because he says, you know what, they prophesy, yeah, but they do it by a demonic spirit in them. They prophesy by Baal, and they walk after things. They they look for things that do not profit. Yeah, they're like the prosperity preachers of the day, in right. my opinion. Right, read, brother Marty. <laughs> 
you know, it's it, it, it's it's powerful because uh, the indictment was that that the priest said not where is the Lord, and but right. what are they saying today? It's the very opposite. They, they're they're actually doubling down that revival's coming. They're doubling down that God is with us. That this is gonna pass us by in in, in America, so there's gonna be revival. We're gonna elect up again a Christian president. Blah blah blah. Right. Mm -hmm. But nobody's sitting down instead of analyzing and saying, you know, really, we're wrong. Where is the Lord in all of this? You know, and and I want to say something to the shepherds, to the pastors and and remind them, because, um, you know, as as, as a pastor myself, I I, I always remember what, what Jesus told Peter when he asked him, Peter, do you love me? Three times, remember? And at the end, he said something so profound. He says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And as shepherds, we have done the very uh, uh, the very opposite. The pastors also transgressed against me. How do we transgress as shepherds against God when we do not feed the sheep the word of God? Yes. What you do to one of these sheep, we're doing it unto God. When we are irresponsible with the word of God, when we are irresponsible in seeking and, and, and providing for the sheep, we're there to serve them. He said, you have transgressed against me. How? When we do one of these things to his sheep. And I, and I just wanted to share that maybe there's a pastor that, that's listening, a shepherd that's listening. God is speaking to us and reminding us what we are called to do. I just wanted to interject that. That's incredible because, um, you know, the indictment that he lays forth is is, is complete and comprehensive. Yeah, you know, brother, brother Fernando, are you still in in Isaiah? Can you go back where you read? Um, yeah. See if you get there, uh, because he lays forth two things after that, right? He 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 still brings hope to a particular group amongst God's people, and yet pronounces judgment to the other group. In, in verse 10, and, and is it verse 10, I think? Um, what does he say yeah. in verse 10? Uh, chapter 3, where you were just reading. Three, oh, okay. Yeah, it's the following verse. It says, Say ye to the righteous that it shall be well with him, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But woe unto the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. Right. So there's the promise and yet the warning, you know, and that was in Isaiah's day. Right. And it still applies to us today. Right. You know, the righteous will eat of the fruit of of their of their doing and their consecration to the Lord. We talked about this judgment that has begun and is coming. It's as if we remember what we started out with talking about how God told Jeremiah they're going to come. They're going to set their their camp, their their thrones right at the gates. Right, right near the walls and, and in the outlying cities, and then there's going to be this pause, right? And then I'm going to have you go and tell them all this stuff, you know. Uh, but in that, like Isaiah leaves that promise for that future generation was, look, if you do right in the midst of all this, you're going to be blessed. Yet you will eat the fruit or the blessing of, of the Spirit of God in your life, and so we want to bring forth that encouragement. 
because things have gotten so bad that and 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 you guys know this over the last several years that how many countless people have we met say I love the Lord and I've tried every church in my city and I can't find a fellowship group right and it's yeah. not that they're religious or anything they just want a simple place where we can go and sing some songs and worship the Lord and hear the word of God preached as it's revealed in the word and then pray for each other and go home I mean, a very simple thing. He says, instead, I get plans, programs, coffees, donuts, videos, you know, <laughs> baseball teams, bowling night, yeah. movie night, everything but. Both. And that's what that's what Jeremiah goes on to say. And he and we won't talk about nine and ten, but verse eleven, he basically he talks about the Gentile nation. He talks about the world, and he says he says this in verse eleven. Can you read it, Jeremy, eleven, twelve, and thirteen? Of uh, Jeremiah. Yes, 11, oh, 12, and 13. Jeremiah. Happy Jeremiah. nation. It says, oh, Jeremiah. Go ahead, Jeremiah. No, you Go ahead, Jeremiah. read Jeremiah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry about that, brother. That's happy all right. Nation, happy nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods. But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens at this and be horribly afraid but ye be very be ye very desolate saith the lord for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and have hewed them out cisterns broken cisterns that can hold no water right and and so that's basically that's where he lays it at them and he says not even the world he says the world doesn't stop doing what they do and 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 serving their gods and their gods aren't even gods he says mm-hmm. he says but my people changed their glory for that which does not profit and what was their glory god was their glory the fact that they knew god was their glory yes but they found after generations of of everything we've been talking about they exchanged his glory for that which does not profit and he he calls the heavens to record. This is incredible. He says, "Be astonished, you know. Right. Walk away. Be be empty. Don't even look at what's going on on the planet." He says, "Because it's my people. Look what they've done." And then he tells the people, like we were talking about, you know, you you've walked after vanity and you've become empty, lifeless, and you won't even admit it. You won't turn back to me. And he says, "You've done two bad things. You forsook me, the fountain of living waters, yes. and you." And you created cisterns, you hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And that's what we were talking about, the differences. God, notice, God doesn't command them on how he's trying to relate to them about relationship with God. He says, I'm a fountain of living water. You know, you don't need to go create something to hold what I give to you. Because what I give to you is a continual flow of life. I'm a fountain of life. That's what Jesus told the lady right at the well when she when yes. he said, "If you knew who it is that was talking to you, you would have asked yeah. him uh, for water, and he would have given you what living water." Right? He's saying, "I'm God." America, Jesus yeah. is still God. He's still yeah. the fountain of living waters. But he says, "You've walked away from that." Not even the world, he said, is does that. He says, "But you, you gave up your glory." 
for what doesn't profit, and it's left you empty, vain, and lifeless. Many of you don't even know it. Your ears are so closed that I would have to send my prophet to open your ears. I mean, he's going on and on and on like that. And he says, uh, but what you've created, you wanted, you wanted a container for your lusts, your desires, and all the things that you think will satisfy. But isn't it interesting, he says, that what you made never holds satisfaction. It constantly leaks. It can hold no water, no life. There's no life in it. And so he says in verse <laughs> in verse in verse 17 cuz what's coming he says and what what we're saying to to this country I I'm not God our brothers aren't God we we, we don't claim to be speaking for God but what we do claim is that his words are meant to be instructive to us and we are commanded in the scripture to learn from what happened to past nations and what happened to his people in particular. And the United States and its church within it is unique amongst any of the nations of the world in the history of the world, with the possible exception of Israel itself. And, and what is coming has already begun. We see the parallels. We see the patterns. And, 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 and they're striking. And if you've been listening to our teachings at all for the last several weeks, either you're <laughs> you know that that we're we're right up out of the word. We're not we're not making up our own thoughts and, and, and conceptions. We're right in the word. And we're taking it line upon line, verse upon verse, historical research, all that stuff we're laying before you, and we're talking to you as we feel led and moved by the Spirit. And 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 in verse seventeen, uh Jeremiah, uh, the Lord says to Jeremiah, to the nation, he says, Hast thou not procured this unto yourself, in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you by the way? America, what's coming upon you, you've done this to yourself. It's already begun. And this little reprieve you, you, you think you have, it, it's, it's coming to an end. not going to last. He says, it, it's your own wickedness in verse 19 that shall correct you. It should have been God that we allowed correct us. But because we harden ourselves against the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the many prophets he sent through the decades leading up to this point, we find ourselves in now. He says, now it's the fruit of your own doing. Your backsliding shall correct thee. Know, therefore, and see that it's an evil thing and it's bitter that you have forsaken the Lord your God and that my fear is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. And he, and he reminds them uh, that he had blessed them and started them. That's Judah. And the same with our country. But now they've become false. In verse 21, he says, I planted you a noble vine, holy, a right seed. How is it that you're turned into this degenerate plant of a strange vine to me? And then he says, it's, it, it's, it's over. Because even if you wash yourself with miter, nitre and you take much soap, truth is, he says, your iniquity has been marked before me, says, says the Lord. And then he says in verse 28, when he concludes, he says, but when these things begin to happen in a greater level, which are just ahead, he says, you're gonna, I'm going to ask you, where's your gods now? Where are the where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them rise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. 
Because according to the number of your cities, that's how many gods you have, Judah. From sea to shining sea, from one end of your border to the other, from the north to south, the east and the west, you have filled your land with idols. You have turned your children from me. You have stained your very land with the blood of the innocents in your abortion clinics. You have heaped to yourselves teachers having itching ears. You have removed all those things that were meant to be a blessing to you. And you have hewn yourself out cisterns which can hold no water and have no life. You see, brothers, these words of Jeremiah, in a way, they echo down through time. And I think they've come to rest on our own land. Remember, the Lord Jesus wept over Jerusalem because she did not recognize the time of her visitation. The Lord told us through uh, when he came to Jerusalem that time, he said he would have he would have healed her, but she didn't want to be healed. Will America understand what's actually happening? Will she turn? I leave that for others to answer. But to you who love the Lord and, and, and to you who walk with him, you who can see and hear, I tell you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not be afraid, but hold fast to your hope. Endure till the end. For soon, and I believe very soon, we will see our King, our Lord, our Savior, our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that the Lord returns soon and that he keeps you in these days and that you keep yourself before him in his grace and strength in the name of Jesus. Anything else, brothers? Amen. Uh, I mean, Amen. Uh, there's nothing to add what you just said. I, I sense his presence and I'm going to leave it there. The Lord has spoken to us, spoken to our nation. And what are we going to do with it? Meanwhile, we pray the Lord blesses you. May the Lord keep you. And as always, keep looking up.